Welcome to Kids Considered. As Dr. Dean and I embrace the summer season by taking a short break, and me, I'm going to be wrangling little Mira as we travel and swim, we want to make sure that you guys do not miss out on any of the relevant content we have shared in the past. So over the next month and a half, we'll be re-airing some of our past episodes. It's your chance to catch up on conversations you may have missed, from travel tips with kids to water safety and sun protection and SPF. We hope to keep you engaged all summer long. We will see you back in August with new content. Hi, my name is Bella. I'm a summer babysitter to these adorable little girls, and we always hang out by their pool. The children can swim pretty decently, but I wonder if they should be wearing life vests, especially if I'm grabbing snacks inside for a second. I get so nervous because they aren't even my kids. What do you think is safe? Especially since I plan on being a mom, but not anytime soon. Please let me know. Thank you. What an awesome question that Bella had. And with summer approaching, tons of kids are getting excited about swimming and being at the pool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. And it's pool time. It's getting warm where we live. And people are going to be in the pool, lakes, rivers in our area, which is a great way to beat the heat in the summer and to cool off. Totally. But as pediatricians... We see firsthand the dangers that unsupervised water play can result in. Right. Drowning is the leading cause of death in the United States in children age 1 to 4. And the second leading cause of death among children 5 to 9 years of age. These are really significant numbers. And it's something that can be prevented if we increase awareness about water safety. Right. That's why today's podcast, Just in Time for Summer, will cover the topic of water safety and drowning prevention. Also, swim lessons and when you should think about enrolling your child in a swim class. Because we all love that kids love to swim, that they enjoy exploring the beautiful outdoors and all Mother Nature has to offer. We just want the experiences to always be pleasant and mostly to be safe. Right. All right. Let's start with some of the facts. I think it's safe to say that every pediatrician at some point in their career has seen a devastating occurrence of a child that died from drowning. Mm -hmm. I'm just at the beginning of my career, and I've already seen multiple kids either die or become gravely disabled from drowning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really a tragedy. It's devastating. Some of these kids with the near drowning end up with um, brain damage. And so it's really bad for the family. The whole community um, grieves when this happens. And it does affect some age groups and demographics more than others, right? You're right about that. Toddlers, so specifically around 12 to 36 months, and male teenagers are at greatest risk of drowning. And is it always in a pool? What are the most common um, areas where people drown? That's a good question. Actually, it's different. In infants, it's more likely to be a bathtub, a bucket of water, or even the toilet. Um, In preschool age, it's more likely to be due to unrestricted access to a body of water, like the pool that you were talking about or a hot tub in more than half of the cases. Okay, so I can see how this happens um, in a preschooler because they're naturally curious. Um, They don't know enough to have as much fear. But an infant in a bathtub or a bucket, I mean, that seems sort of odd. How does that happen? It can happen in different ways. So in a bathtub, some parents utilize something called bathtub rings or seats that suction to the side of the bath. Mm -hmm. And while they can seem safe, they're actually not. They can come undone and kids can fall into the bathtub. So they slip. They slip. So that's one thing to look out for. Um, And buckets, you know, a lot of parents have a bucket, they're filling up water balloons, they're 
playing with a water gun or something like that. And toddlers at that age can actually pull up to stand on the bucket and lose their footing. And, you know, they're so top heavy with those big heads, they can just topple right into a bucket. Um, And that's how drowning can occur. And then they can't get out. Right, exactly. So um, why male adolescents? I think I probably know this based on being male and adolescent. Yeah. (laughs) In the past, right? Mm -hmm. So teens commonly overestimate their swimming skills. They underestimate how dangerous a certain situation can be, like a current in a river. Um, They also can engage in high-risk behaviors and sometimes have issues with substance abuse going on while they're interacting with water, which can be dangerous. So that they're impaired. Right. Yeah. So there's more drownings in teen. And so these are like under the influence of drugs and alcohol. They can be. Alcohol is a leading factor that contributes to between 30% to 70%. I know that's a wide range, but the data is a little bit different of teen drownings have alcohol involved. Yeah. But in any case, that's still a significant proportion. Yeah. So it's important for parents to talk to their teens about the importance of never mixing alcohol with swimming or water activities. Definitely. Every year we see teenagers coming in. In our area, the big thing is to drink and float down the river. And this can be extremely dangerous for a number of reasons. One, because, you know, like we already said, you're overestimating your swimming abilities. There's strong currents that they're not prepared for. And there's sometimes still extremely cold water temperatures, even if it's warm outside. And so that can lead to hypothermia and all other issues. So we see this and it's it's something to definitely talk to your kids about. Mm-hmm. Are there any other populations that may be more at risk of drowning? There are. There are kids with certain medical conditions like epilepsy, autism, and cardiac arrhythmias that need to, um, you know, have even closer supervision when they're in the pool. So that makes sense. So if they have epilepsy and have a seizure when they're in the pool, then they could just drown and Mm -hmm. aspirate the water. Right. So something to keep in mind if your child has epilepsy, that they need extra supervision. Mm -hmm. Any cultural, ethnic, or racial factors that may put somebody at increased risk of drowning? I'm really glad you asked. According to the Center for Disease Control, or CDC, a majority, 64% of African-American children can't swim. Just under half of Hispanic children can't swim. And that compares to only 40% of Caucasian or white children that cannot swim. It's really interesting that there's those significant differences among those groups. Right. And as we know that not knowing how to swim puts a child at increased risk of drowning. So because of this, it might not come as a surprise that African-American children have the highest drowning fatality rate. Wow. So why do you think these populations have lower rates of swimming abilities? That's an interesting question, and I think there needs to be more research done. But one pediatrician looked into this in her own specific practice, so I don't know how much we can extrapolate it to all practices. But she found that the biggest barriers seem to be parents never having learned to swim themselves, parents who were afraid of water, um, parents who felt it was difficult to fit swimming or swim lessons into their work schedules, or the financial burden of lessons. So that makes sense, but it seems like we still have a lot of work to do to improve these rates so that more kids learn how to swim so that they're at decreased risk of drowning. Right. We definitely do. And we can talk about some of the strategies later. Okay. So we talked about who is at risk of drowning, but what can we do to ensure safe and fun water activities all summer and give parents some solutions and tools instead of instilling so much fear in them that their children stay out of the water. Yep, I know a little fear is good, but you're right. Solutions are better. We want kids to be having fun in the pool. So there seems to be five interventions to prevent drowning that actually have evidence behind them. 
Okay. Well, one of them I think we've already talked about, which is teaching kids how to swim. That's a big one. And then I'm thinking life jackets have got to be one of them, right? That's like Bella talked about in the question she was asking specifically about life jackets. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're right about those two, swim lessons and life jackets. Some other ones that have been effective are pool fences, adult supervision, and lifeguards. Mm -hmm. And we can go over each of them in a little bit more detail. So with pool fences, I mean, a lot of people have pools in their backyard. So if they're fenced in the backyard, does that count? (laughs) (laughs) No. Nice try, but no, it doesn't count. So a pool fence needs to be just around the pool, and it needs to be at least four feet high, completely surrounding it on all sides and separating it from the house as well as the rest of the yard. Okay. And anything else? Yes, they should be climb proof. That means nothing up against the fence that a child could climb on. The design should not have anything that could serve as like a foothold or handhold. So don't try and get fancy with the design. And the slats should be close together. So no more than four inches of space in between the slats. So that nobody can squeeze through. Exactly. And the fence should have a self-closing and self-latching gate that only opens outward away from the pool area. And obviously that latch should be out of a child's reach. And so those are the springs usually that people have to like make sure the door, the gates pulled closed afterwards. What about alarms and pool covers? Some people I know have these instead of pool fences. They're good additions, but they do not replace a pool fence, which is the only barrier that's actually proven to be effective in preventing drowning. Do you want to mention what these are briefly, the pool alarms? Yeah, so the swimming pool alarms can detect waves on the water surface, and so they would sound off and attract attention if if a kid, for example, falls into the pool. And then some people also set the alarms on the doors going into and out of the pool for for the gate area. And then pool covers, they're the tarps that cover um, the pools, and they're supposed to completely cover the entire pool when it's not in use so that a kid can't get into the pool. Right. And so they theoretically sound good, but the dangers of some of those pool covers is even if they let a little bit of water onto the surface, a child can drown in just two inches of water. Um, So you need to make sure that it's not allowing any water on top. And then, obviously, there's the scary thought of a child getting trapped beneath one of those covers. So well, That would be very scary. Right. Yeah, it's like a horror movie. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really convinced that a pool fence is a must for anybody who may ever have children to swim at their house, and even if they're not your own kids. I'm glad we're agreeing on something. Well, I think we, I think we mostly agree. <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Okay. So um, next, you mentioned um, life jackets. Right. And so this is very important whenever a child is going on a boat or on open bodies of water that they wear a life jacket and a life jacket that's approved by the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. And so I read that um, uh, more than 80 percent of fatal drowning accidents involving boating were in people who were not wearing a life jacket. Right. That's a huge number, right? I mean... They can be lifesavers, which is why they're called life jackets. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so they save lives in adults as well as kids. Like you said, that 80% number, I think, is for all people. Mm-hmm. So adults should be good role models and wear them in addition to kids. Mm-hmm. So how can you tell if a life jacket fits properly? They're sort of bulky when you put them on. <laughs> they are bulky, and that's a good question. You want it to fit snug. So the best way to test this is have the kid raise both arms straight up, um, if the life jacket comes up to hit the child's chin or ears, it might be too big and you might need to size down or tighten the straps. 
Mm-hmm. We need to do this in video because you demonstrated that really well yeah. with your hand movements, but people, people won't be able to see that. But that was a good description. Thank you. Thank you. So are babies allowed on boats? Because that's not something I really thought of before, but that seems kind of dangerous to have a baby on a boat. Right. So the Coast Guard does not recommend taking infants on boats because there's no life jackets actually that are available for infants 18 pounds or under. Because it would like squash them, basically. Yeah, you would think they would just be this little ball in a life jacket. So don't take your baby be on the boat just have so get a babysitter if you're planning on going on a on a boat and you have a, a young baby mm-hmm. that's good to know so um next you mentioned adult supervision right so we recommend practicing something called eyes on supervision or touch supervision for parents or caregivers when kids are present in or around water so you're not saying that you're touching your child that's in the water all the time right <laughs> i mean close so an adult should at least be within an arm's length of a child at all times when they're in the water and one adult should always be designated to be the one in charge of supervising and watching the pool at all times So that means that they're not texting or looking at their phone or lounging around or reading by the pool and occasionally looking up. I mean, they're really focused and they're not impaired or intoxicated. Right. And different adults should switch off performing this job so that they don't get fatigued or tired watching the kids. And let's be honest, I don't think any of us adults want to be that person at the party the whole time watching the kids. So do your friends a favor and kind of get a schedule and switch off. Because that could get kind of boring to do that the whole time. Yeah. So we're being really specific about the eyes-on supervision because most drownings are silent and they don't have the flailing and the splashing around that we like see in, in the movies and it could easily go unnoticed if a parent is looking away. Right, totally. And the outcome of how a child will do after drowning is determined within just a few minutes of submersion, making this extremely crucial that someone has eyes on the pool. And so Bella mentioned this, like, what about going in for snacks or something that it made her nervous? And it, it should make her nervous. So right. she kids can't be in the pool if she's going in for exactly. snacks. Exactly. Not even if they're wearing life jackets. She needs to bring the kids out of the pool into the house with her. All right. So close, constant, eyes on, attentive adult supervision of young children in or around any pool is essential. You got it. Okay, so let's talk about lifeguards now, because I know we're going to spend a bit of time on swim lessons, but... Like, do lifeguards still have, like, jobs and they wear, like, the red bathing suit, like, in the TV shows (laughs) and stuff? Yeah, I think that most of them are still in the red bathing suit last pool (laughs) I went to. Uh They're definitely still a thing. They're at most public pools, beaches, designated swim spots, and lakes where they have a swim area. And they're really instrumental in aiding with rescues, performing CPR when needed. Um, But they're monitoring a lot of people. You know, some of these Mm -hmm. pools have hundreds of kids at the summer. So you definitely can't count on a lifeguard to kind of to not supervise. They still need to have parental eyes on supervision. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So that brings us to um, swim lessons, which I know can be a controversial topic to some because I remember seeing a video at a lecture where a parent threw their their five-month-old infant, they threw the kid into the pool and it was really scary to watch and they said it triggers their floating reflex and it really did work the kid the the kid floated and didn't die or anything i've seen those videos um and it is remarkable to watch because babies do have a reflex to hold their breath underwater but this is 
still not safe to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is currently no evidence that recommends infant swim programs for babies under a year of age will, in the future, lower their drowning risk. Okay, so even though infants this age may show reflex swimming movements, they can't yet hold their heads out of the water, they're not strong enough, they can't breathe properly, and so really this can be dangerous. Right. Okay, but playing in the water with your infant at this age is is kind of fun, and it gets them comfortable in this setting. So that's okay, right? Right. So you holding your infant and having their head out of the water is totally a great thing to do. Okay, so no to infant swimming, no matter how cute it is, but okay to be in the pool. So when do kids start to swim? What age? So the American Academy of Pediatrics actually just recently released revised guidelines regarding this because there had been some new evidence that had come out. So they're now recommending swim lessons to start as early as one year old, depending on the individual individual child's developmental readiness. Mm-hmm. So some studies that have come out more recently do suggest water survival skills training in earlier ages can help reduce drowning between the ages of one and four. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to imagine a toddler learning to swim because this is the same time that they're learning to walk and even run with coordination. Right, right. Yeah, But I did read an article the other day that really advocated that swimming is the first sport that every child should learn. Right. And I agree with that statement. I know many parents may feel that one year is too young and, you know, that's okay. Not all families want or need to start that early. So by four years of age is when more children are ready for swim lessons and parents should start their kids by. Okay. So that's good to know. There's so many different types of swim lessons out there. Are there specific things that parents should look for when they're choosing a swim program for their children? So there are different skills that are essential that your child comes out of swim lessons with. So you want to make sure that they meet all of this criteria. They need to be able to safely enter the water, Mm -hmm. surface from underwater, Mm -hmm. turn around, propel themselves forward at least 25 yards, Mm -hmm. float, tread water like doggy paddling, and exit the water. It's really not that many things, if you think about it. Okay, and then for our worldwide or European listeners, I'm just going to translate that 25 yards is about 25 meters, right? (laughs) (laughs) Good, thank you. Yeah, my excellent math. So um, you're not looking for a perfect butterfly stroke for these swim lessons, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, although we all wish we were raising the next Michael Phelps, that's not the ultimate goal at this age. It should be fun. They should get used to water and they should perform those um, water safety skills that we discussed. Okay, I got that. So what else should parents look for? We want experienced, qualified instructors who teach water safety And they should also be trained on performing CPR if ever necessary. That makes sense. So once a child has mastered swim lessons, do parents still have to perform the constant supervision? Yes, 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 yes. Swimming lessons do not make kids drown proof. In fact, in the beginning, it actually might give them a false sense of security. They're used to going to the pool and entering, and they may not yet have the skills. So supervision is still completely essential. Okay, I got that. So uh, many swim lessons are expensive. And so I'm thinking about the families that they might not be able to afford them. We mentioned this before. And that may be why we're seeing some of the socioeconomic differences in swimming abilities and drowning rates that you mentioned. So Are there programs to help these families who are interested in getting their kids swimming, but Mm -hmm. they just don't have the resources? 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that is the reason that we see some of those differences. So many towns have scholarship programs to help cover the cost of swim lessons held at public pools. We practice here in Sacramento, Mm -hmm. and some of our local taxes, at least last summer, were used to fund free swim lessons and free lunches for kids at some of our city pools here. So that's something that you should be able to Google and find more information about. Okay, so that's great. So we can post some of these resources on our website. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's say you implement all these tactics we've talked about. You ensure you practice pool and water safety, but you still find yourself in the awful situation of experiencing a drowning. Mm-hmm. So then what it, what's a parent to do? First, get the child out of the water safely. Okay, and then instruct somebody to call 911. Mm-hmm. And then if there's an appropriately trained person, they can promptly initiate CPR. And the focus is on rescue breathing before compressions. Right. So that's giving breaths to the child and then initiating chest compressions if needed. But the focus would be on the breaths, which is sort of different than some other types of CPR. Mm-hmm. Even before the ambulance arrives, early CPR can potentially be the difference between life and death in these situations. And that's why we recommend that all parents and caretakers be trained in CPR. And we'll provide a link of potential places to obtain training on on our website. Yes. So now that we've thoroughly terrified our parents to, to against taking their kids to the pool this summer. Yeah, but like you said before, the goal of the episode was not to terrify the parents, but to arm them with information and strategies so that they can have fun and be assured that um, when the kids are in the water, that they'll be safe. Right. You're totally right. So we are so excited to see you all at the pool this summer. Right. So let's um, summarize some of the main points. That drowning is a leading cause of death in children and the number one injury-related death in children one to four years of age. And teens are at high risk of injury and drowning as well. Many deaths from drowning are preventable if we use evidence-based safety tactics while around water. So that includes a completely enclosed pool fence, life jackets while boating or on open water, eyes-on touch supervision by adults, lifeguards, Those are all great strategies to reduce your risk of drowning. As well as initiating swim lessons at a young age, possibly as young as one, but definitely starting at age four. Right. So just back to the question, Mm -hmm. I think we touched on it a little bit, but it's great that they're having fun in the pool. Um, The biggest things I would say while babysitting are you need to be eyes on at all times, Mm -hmm. um, that if you're going inside, the kids need to come in with you. And ideally, um, if she should be trained and if she wants some extra exposure and training in CPR, CPR, and really that will help her as a babysitter in the future, a lot more parents will likely be interested Mm -hmm. in that. Yeah, but she's got a lot of awareness of um, a lot of the main issues. And so I'm really glad that she brought that to our attention. Totally. And that reminds me of a joke Uh and a swimming myth that we haven't yet addressed. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. So why should you never swim on a full stomach? Hmm. Why? Because it's easier to swim in water. What? (laughs) Oh, I get it. Like swimming in the stomach? Yeah, something like that. interesting. All right. (laughs) That wraps up today's episode of Kids Considered. We would like to thank Dr. Heather Siepkes, a pediatric intensivist at UC Davis Children's Hospital, for reviewing today's episode, although Dr. Dean and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. Have you ever experienced personally like a 
you're drowning or been scared in the water? <laughs> Personally, yes. I've been I've been rescued by a lifeguard once. Really? Before. What happened? I grew up in San Diego on this beach called Windensea Beach, mm-hmm. and it's a very well known surf spot. And it is known because it has such a good current that, like, makes really big waves or whatever. And I just found myself swimming there and getting sucked out <laughs> behind this big rock and reef. And I was getting pulled out. And I Like knew, a riptide? Yeah, or? and I think I'm a decent swimmer. I'm not a great swimmer. But um, it was just a rip current that was pulling me out. And luckily, there were lifeguards there because I knew that my swim strength was not going to, like, prevent me from getting sucked out and then there was this big wave set coming that was going to knock me onto these rocks so luckily i I was just waved i tried to do it like really nonchalantly so nobody (laughs) on the beach would see but Uh i was in high school i just waved and the lifeguard swam out and luckily he was a much better swimmer than me and helped me in um so that it brings us to another point where like if you're feeling uncomfortable like just don't I wouldn't hesitate to ask for help you know right and don't don't do it nonchalantly <laughs> either because you want to be seen right right you want to be seen <laughs> if you're yes. asking for help just ask yes right so that was my only near drowning experience although it ended up being fine but it was very embarrassing for my like 15 year old psyche yeah well thank goodness for lifeguards huh right exactly <laughs> yeah. that wraps up this episode of kids considered you can find more information on our website kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered and Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388 or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.